if they're going to be a little more conservative, they might go 1.3, and then usually in exchange for something like that, they're going to give you a little bit lower rate, a little more generous terms. I'm ready to talk to you one-on-one about working together. If you think back, many of the successful multifamily investors I've interviewed here on this show, their first step into this space was becoming a passive equity partner. One of the many benefits is the opportunity to build a track record that allows you to have more credibility with sellers, brokers, and your own passive investors. My company has about 700 doors that we're actively working on right now. And when these go to contract, we bring these opportunities to the accredited investors that are on our list. If you've already been thinking about getting a portfolio of multifamily doors, then now is a great opportunity for you to be involved with Blue Spruce Holdings as a passive equity partner. One of the unique things that my team does for our equity partners is sending out invites when we tour a new property, which allows them to see what we look for, along with getting to know the building and the neighborhood and even meeting some of the residents. So if you're ready to take the next step and set up a one-on-one call with me, then please find my calendar link in today's show notes and let's talk. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and this podcast is where you come to learn out-of-box innovative strategies to real estate not just creative financing, but all the things that you need to do to actually become part of that 1%. Do things differently because I don't want you to be the 99%, the sheep, the lemmings, the followers. I want you to actually be out there setting yourself apart. And Tom Kelly is going to help us learn a lot of that. So we have actually got Tom Kelly on the line with us right now. Uh, Tom Kelly is actually work has his own company it's called elevated financing so he does all sorts of commercial lending we'll get into that i'll ask him the deep questions that i think you want to know and uh, just a little bit more background on him if you want to find that company just go to elevatedfinancing.com it's actually in denver so now you can never forget that name again because denver's elevated we're one mile high so just go to elevatedfinancing.com if you're uh, wanting to look up and know how you can have funding from someone like Tom Kelly. He's been here in Denver for two years. Before that, he was in Chicago and actually was a bank at a bank auditor firm. So this firm helped banks to be able to audit financials. And so that just basically means he's a genius and I'm excited to have him with us. So uh, Tom, tell us a little bit, what did I miss? What about your background did I miss? Um, well, I think you have, for the most part, I think you got it pretty, uh, pretty spot on. Um, but basically what I used to do is I'd go around, travel to different banks, review the loans, uh, review the loan portfolios for risk, um, as well as compliance. Kind of really how that feeds into what I do now um, is I've seen a lot of creative deals, so I can really help people cater financing really to meet their deal. Okay, awesome. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so... Let's actually go into that. And you said you've seen, you know how to do creative financing because you looked at all these books. You looked at and try to see what kind of debt they had. So let's actually be more specific and give us a, like three actionable takeaways that you got that would actually help the listeners to be able to qualify for loans. Yeah, well, I think the first thing, most people are kind of accustomed to the residential mortgages, which are a lot more uniform. Um, what's a little bit different when you're doing commercial is one, you have to qualify as a borrower and then the property has to qualify, which really, that could really depend based off uh, the banking's lending strategy. Um, 
Some are going to be asset based where they're really going to kind of look at the market, they'll lend in certain markets, but not other markets. Um, a lot of it, a lot of times you're going to find local lenders for so those are probably going to be most familiar with those deals. Um, then also you'll find a lot of like the big lenders like JP Morgan Chase, where they kind of have a one size fits all product. Um, sometimes they may have the lowest rates, but they might not be willing to finance the highest percent. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's talk about what is it that you do now with elevated financing? Are you utilizing any creative strategies for funding deals? Yeah. Um, I think the most creative example I can think of that I recently did, um, I had an experienced investor who did a lot of fix and flips. I mean, he's using hard money, which is pretty expensive with the two points. Um, a lot of times it takes a couple of weeks if you need an appraisal, uh, which is very, which is very difficult in this market since it's so competitive. Um, so what I did really is we structured uh, basically a lot of acquisition line of credit. We did it at $250,000. So that way you don't need an appraisal. So you can advance the money pretty quickly to be competitive for each deal. Um, but also what it did is it took away the origination points, which a lot of times the origination points quite honestly can make it make a deal not cost effective to do. Um, it's so really what it does is it made him be able to do more deals at a cheaper cost. Okay, so how does it take away the origination points? Will you go over that again? Just how yeah, so does it negate them? Because this is through a bank, they're a lot more conservative. Um, okay. So it took, a, it took a while to kind of structure and negotiate. Um, but basically, he, he has the cash flow, just look at his tax returns. He has a lot of experience, he has liquidity. So they're not financing quite high of a percent, about 75% of the loan to value. Okay, uh, so keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. So basically, since banks are a little more conservative, they're not going to do quite as many deals and most people won't qualify. But because they're conservative, they're not taking as much risk. They usually won't charge quite as much as a hard money lender. Okay. So let me ask you a couple things about your business, Elevated Financing. So <clears throat> what um, types of assets do you lend on? Do you lend on single family? Um, I do not do single family. Okay. Uh, so that's typically going to be done with a residential mortgage broker. Okay. All right. So you mostly do commercial property? That's correct. Okay. So with, with the exception, I do, the only single family I'll do is sometimes fix and flips. Um, okay. It's mostly multifamily and retail. Okay. So multifamily and retail. Yes. So uh, does that mean that you don't do any of those? Um, what are they? I'm trying to think of the term for it, but just the, the warehouses that are you know, housing like marijuana and uh, growers and stuff like that. You don't really do warehouse. Typically not. Okay. Um, it's something I can do. I typically wouldn't do it for marijuana um, just because it's not really bankable funds. So okay. Then you have to go to a private source. Okay. Great. So where are you getting the money from? Now, like, what kind of loans are you making for these? Are Are you having lines of credit, or are you underwriting to give to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, commercial loans? Let's kind of go over a little bit of that. Yeah, so I mean, every deal is going to be different. Um, it's a, a lot of times you have to find what the best source of that money is going to be and place it. Uh, so really what I have is a, a, quite a few different wholesale programs. Um, it basically, basically what that does is it provides a couple of different options uh, for every deal. Like some, sometimes first, first time investors aren't really comfortable on the five-year balloon, which is typically what you see in a commercial, anywhere from a five to 10-year balloon. While it might be amortized over 30 years, it'll typically have to be refinanced or renewed at the end of each term. 
Okay. So I have one program that they're really, it's, there's a fixed period, but the whole, it's still amortizing over the 30 years. Um, so some people like that. Uh, sometimes if it's a deal where you have to get pretty creative, but um, more of kind of a debt placement service going out and basically finding what's going to fit the deal, uh, which could be quite extensive search. Okay. So, um, so do you do Fannie and Freddie? Um, typically no, that's something that generally going to be for, um, some larger shops. I typically do, um, the conventional non-agency loans. Okay. So how big can you go on one, on one deal? Like how, how many millions? Um, there's really no limit, but typically I work in by the one to $5 million range. Okay. And so what do you want from your borrower? So like just somebody's coming up, what do you want to see to make sure that they're going to be able to pay the loan? What are, what's your, what's your pre underwriting? You know, just the, your intuition. Oh, okay. He doesn't do this or he hasn't done that. So I'm not going to be able to go. Yeah. So typically I see a lot of, a lot of investors they are trying to get the biggest property that they can, but there is some risk with that a lot of times because they're going to be using all their liquidity for the down payment, which is typically going to be anywhere from 25 to 35%, depending on how much cash flow. Uh, can cover. So typically, what I like to see is someone who has obviously the money for the down payment, but is also going to leave a little bit of reserve. Um, they might need to do some some maintenance, some repairs. Uh, you know, there may be some vacancies, so it's good to have some reserve that can really account for that. As well as that, uh, there's not really any experience requirement. Experience is obviously good, but not 100% necessary. The main thing is really that they have good credit. They have some sort of supplemental income and or liquidity. Um, that's really about it. Okay. So let's talk about um, some of the other parts of the underwriting process. So the experience, which is happens to be a big one in some cases for you, it's not as much. You want to just make sure that they have the liquidity available. So I've got a couple questions. Number one on the liquidity what if they're a syndicator? So my company personally, we, we buy hundreds of units, uh, yeah. millions and millions of dollars, but we, we don't necessarily, sometimes we have some liquidity, but sometimes we only just, we come into a deal and then we get liquidity. And like to answer what you were talking about earlier is we will actually raise more money than we need to make sure that there ends up being liquidity, but it's not coming from us. So what is your thought on that? Um, I think that's totally fine. The main thing is just the people who have, who are invested in the deal have some sort of kind of backup plan in case you know, there's some vacancy so they can continue to pay the loan or, you know, if there's some sort of maintenance that they need to do. Okay. And so do you um, actually lend on buildings to just be re repositioned in a short amount of time or are you looking more for the cash flow or both? Um, I do both. Okay. What would you look for like for a debt service coverage ratio? Um, typically the minimum is 1.2, which means you're going to have to about 20% more cash flow than the loan payment. Um, I've seen, depending on, on the deal and kind of the terms, if they're going to be a little more conservative, they might go 1.3 and then usually in exchange for something like that, they're going to give you a little bit lower rate, a little more generous terms. Okay. So the more you have, the more the company comes in, uh, the sponsor or the buyer comes in and can get where the loan uh, payment is less and less and less compared to their net operating income, you incentivize them 
by giving them a better rate. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so like my company, um, one thing that we've been able to do on our last couple of deals is get a, a very high DSCR. Uh, this is debt service coverage ratio for the listeners. And so in, in all cases, it's 1.6 at a minimum, uh, which means for the listeners, 60% more cash flow than it costs us to pay the mortgage. And in one case, it was 2.1. So maybe that's why, because some people are surprised at how my company is being able to get 80-20s instead of um, 70-30s. Yeah. And I think that might be one of, the, one of the good answers toward it is we're making sure that we can cover our mortgage so well, even at 80-20, that loaner, lenders, people want to loan us the money. Is, does that sound pretty accurate? Yeah, that's, that's totally correct. All right. So what would be some steps toward somebody getting into either multifamily or do you, what did you say for the second one that you lend on? Um, retail. Retail. So if somebody was, if, as an investor was saying, I want to get into multifamily or I want to get into retail, uh, you as an experienced lender, what would you tell them to help them know that they had all the pieces in place before they tried to come to you? Yeah, I think there's really two ways that I see people getting into multifamily. The first is really syndicating, similar to what you do. I think that's, that's a great way to get into it, uh, especially people who might not have enough liquidity for a big down payment to buy a property by themselves. The other thing is I really see them starting off. I see a lot of people start off in residential. It's basically they might buy a property um, like 10 years ago as it appreciates. Eventually, they have enough where they can sell that property and through a 1031 exchange, so they don't have to pay any capital gain tax on that property. They could then move after they sell a property, they have liquidity to buy, say, a larger property. So a lot of times they'll see, um, did a deal actually, I'll use an example. I did a deal, a guy had bought a single family home in Denver, uh, I think right around, he bought it 2011, 2012. Uh, so as you can imagine, so there's a lot of appreciation. Um, so he had quite a bit of equity that, and then he had sold that property through a 1031 exchange and then bought a nine unit property. Um, so I think his first property originally he bought is about $250,000 and then he bought a, through the exchange, he bought a $1 million nine unit multifamily building. Awesome. A nine or a 90? Nine. I just want to make sure. And nine here quite a chunk. <laughs> yeah. So tell me again, how much was that nine unit valued at again? Uh, $1 million. Okay. Awesome. And so what about for you, Al, let's talk about recourse versus non-recourse loans. Um, so do you do both or do you just do one or the other? Um, typically I do recourse. Okay. Most of the time, if you're a single investor, it's going to be required um, that there's going to be some sort of guarantee uh, okay. unless you're willing to pledge maybe another asset or you have enough liquidity and really some sort of bargaining chip where you can really show that this is a low risk deal for the lender. Okay. Good deal. Um, what other what other steps are there that because I'm not a lender myself that am I missing asking you the right questions that you might be able to fill us in on? Yeah, so I think it's important to realize that the the financing process for a commercial is going to be quite a bit more complicated. Well, the actual closing of the transaction will be very similar to what you've done in residential. It's kind of the qualification and the underwriting process is going to be quite a bit more complicated. So what I think it's important to do really is after you've kind of got a couple quotes and you're kind of settling in on uh, an option or two to, to seriously consider for financing. I think that's really important 
come to get all the documentation, you know, personal financial statements, the tax returns, um, the rent rolls, all the leases. And so there you could sit, you know, with the loan officer, you have all that information. So that way he could really commit to the, the, the quoted terms that he's given you. It's quite often what I'll see happen. It's kind of a disservice as I'll see loan officers they go out and they give a quote, but they don't really have all the information. And so then eventually what happens is when it goes into underwriting and it has to be approved by a loan committee, they're going to say, you know, this is just too risky. We can't finance 75% of this due to their cash flow, um, or maybe they don't like the market. So, quite, so I think the best thing really is to get all the information up front. I actually find that all the time. And if, if you're the one, uh, Thomas, who's actually asking the right questions uh, ahead of time, then I definitely need direct listeners toward coming to you to, to look to answer some of these. And, and you do lend all over the country, right? Just you don't have a limit. Okay, so awesome. Because we, I've actually, in my experience, tried to get funding in the past where there's been somebody who just said, oh, yeah, we got that. You know, it was, it was like as if, as if it was not a big deal. And then and we're like, are you sure? Because we thought, and they're like, no, 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 that's fine. Then it gets down to like what you're talking about with the underwriting committee, like a group of people that are actually looking at and ask, asking the question that probably should have been asked in the first place. And then they're like, hey, we need this or hey, we need this or hey, we can't do this. But we got so far into it. This is like a, a month into it where they finally have it. We're about to close and they're submitting the documentations and we're like, there's T's that haven't been crossed. There's I's that haven't been dotted. Um, so for anybody who's being a lender, I would say, listen carefully to what we're talking about right now, because it is important because it puts me at a bad position when I thought you said you could fund and I can't because you didn't ask me the right question. So, and then for anybody who's been in the same position as me, talk to Tom, maybe it'll be a great win-win for you to talk to somebody who knows what questions to ask because he actually used to be there auditing the debt for these things. He understands what it's going to take because he has the experience. I have two questions and then I want to get into our final five questions. Uh, the first one is, do you do a phase one? What is a phase one and who pays for it? Um, as far as a phase one, are you talking about the environmental? Or, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, typically a phase one is only going to be required if you're doing a government guaranteed loan such as SBA. Um, or there's some factor that really suggests there might be some sort of environmental issue, like maybe the multifamily buildings they newly built it. it used to be industrial site before, uh, but typically I don't see environmental. Okay, great. Thank you. And then um, what are the rates these days with the loans that you're seeing being able to put out in the third quarter of 2018, what kind of rates are you seeing? I, I know we had two or three, interest hikes over the last month yeah um so i actually financed a loan at five sort of financed a property at five percent um that was back in may okay but typically you're going to see for a, say a property in a good market you know with a qualified borrower anywhere from five to six percent for the most part i actually had sent out uh, i sent out a monthly email which kind of goes over rate updates um what if somebody wants to be um, receive those emails? How would they sign up for it? I'll just simply send me an email uh, or give me a call and I can add it to the list. Okay. At the end, I'll grab your contact info then. Uh, perfect. Okay. Perfect. 
Um, so you said in, in May you did a 5% and it might just kind of be climbing a little bit since then? Yeah, so this one is actually based off the treasury rate, which to be quite honest is actually lowered. Um, it's kind of a complicated reason why it lowered, but basically a lot of people are kind of scared to invest in equities. So they're putting more money into treasury bonds, which, you know, supply and demand. So it got pressures okay. down the rates a little bit. Wow, interesting. I appreciate you bringing that up. I, and I was not aware of that. So I did learn something. All right, we're going to get into the final five. But first, a word from our sponsors. Here we go. Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups, and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555-888. Text meetup to 555-888. As a fix and flipper, you need to save money wherever you can to make sure you stay under budget. Well, something I haven't mentioned enough is that I have a company that can fund your fix and flips for a lot less than your current hard money lender. Find out more by looking in today's show notes. All right. Are you ready? So you, earlier you said that this was, you, you kind of mentioned one of your creative deals, but the, this question is, what is the most creative deal? So if you've already mentioned it, let's go to another one. All right. I'm ready. Um, so to buy the most creative deal outside of that, actually I've done quite a few of those. Kind of a deal I actually have in the works. So recently the OCC, the FDIC and the Federal Reserve who are basically the ones who regulate banks they moved up the appraisal threshold for commercial properties, which is defined as four or more units. Uh, so they moved up the appraisal threshold from 250 to 500,000. So similar to kind of the acquisition line of credit for that fix and flip investor. I'm working on a deal now where basically it's an acquisition line at $500,000. So they can quickly advance the funds without going through the hard money points or the hard money like high rates. Um, it's basically what that's really meant to do is just be able to quickly acquire a property in such a competitive market. Um, since it's a line of credit, eventually you know, it needs to be refinanced within a few months. Okay, cool. Thank you. What's a book you recommend to the listeners? Um, you know, quite honestly, I find myself more reading articles than books. Uh, okay. I'm sure a lot of people do this, but Business Insider, uh, I think it has a lot of little small tips. Uh, Kind of really a lot of insight that you can really apply to your daily life, regardless of you know what you do for work or your situation. Perfect, thank you. Where were you five years ago from today, and where will you be in another five years from today? Five years ago from today, I was in college at University of Illinois at Chicago, um, and I was an Army Reservist, so I was probably somewhere in Southern California for my annual training right now. Okay, um, okay. Five years from today. Probably doing something pretty similar to what I'm doing now, just at a higher volume and really having more established connections. Great. Thanks for sharing. How do you give back? How do I give back? Um, I think really just offering my expertise, um, you know, whether I'm at one of your uh, happy hours or networking events, a lot of times you meet people who, you know, they're interested in getting into commercial, but they really don't know a lot about it. Um, mm -hmm. So really just letting them ask questions and explaining the process to them. Excellent. And if anybody wants to listen, uh, any of the listeners want to actually reach out to you and ask some questions, how would they get a hold of you? Um, probably email would be the best way. They could email me at tkelly, T-K-E-L-L-Y, at elevatedfinancing.com.
Perfect. I got it. All right. So that's in the show notes, guys. If you would like to reach out to Tom Kelly, his email is in the show notes. Just scroll down right now and you, and you can have that. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. My yeah, friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good to have you. And uh, until next time, think outside right. the box. Hey, it's DJ. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. We're glad you keep listening to each episode. And I want to ask you to please take a minute to give us a five-star review. And remember, we are not attorneys or CPAs. This is just the stuff you bring to your advisors.